0: Back in the early 2000s, uh, Michelle and I really enjoyed watching the early seasons of American Idol. And I don't know if you remember those days, but uh, back in the day, uh, Simon Cow was one of the judges. I haven't watched it in years, so I don't know what it's like today. A little bit more from you, Mason. Um, and so uh, back in those days, you, you kind of were on pins and needles whenever it went over to the judges because you just never knew what Simon would say to the contestants, because he was very critical, could be extremely insulting, and you had you know, sometimes very young people up front singing in front of him, and, and uh, they sometimes would even start crying over the fact that he, he was very critical to them. And I remember thinking as the season progressed, and as even some of the most fantastic singers and talented people were eliminated from the show and, and the critical things that were said, But one thing that always, of course, happened at the end of the season, of course, was the winner winner was crowned, right? They declared who the winner of the contest was. And once the winner was declared, they then took the mic for one last time and they sang for the audience and even for the judges. But something fundamentally had changed now. The fact is they were no longer singing in order to be judged or critiqued. She or he was singing out of being declared the winner. And so while it was amazing and the freedom they experienced from that, and there was the anxiety of the judging was over, there was just you know, no fear that you know, if they missed a note or whatever, if they started crying during their performance, it didn't matter because they were singing out of the joy of being declared the winner at this point. And I think this is a beautiful illustration of our union with Christ, is the fact that we are free, from anxiety because of what the gospel declares us to be in Christ, that we have now been declared righteous in Christ, the judging, the critiquing is over, the law has done its job, right? The law has shown us that we are sinners, and we deserve hell, but Jesus came, and it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. We've been chosen by Jesus, we've been united with Jesus, and through faith and faith alone, God is for us and not against us. And so that's why in our text today in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12 through 17 Paul can tell to the Corinthians that they in spite of their messiness, in spite of their sin, the struggles this church is experiencing, he can say that you are the aroma of Christ to God. He tells these messed up Christians that you are the aroma of Christ up to God. So he's basically saying, You smell good to God. He, he, that's what he's saying. He's saying, Your smell, your fragrance, your aroma is a sweet smelling fragrance to God the Father. And so as we look at this text today, I really want us to see the fact that who we are in Christ and the freedom that He's given us, even when things are difficult and tough, as Paul is going to experience and is experiencing. That we have this freedom, this anxiety-free way to live our lives in praise to him. And so let's look at 12 through 17. Paul writes this. He says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Verse 14. But thanks be to God For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let's pray and we'll look at these amazing verses. Father God, we thank you for your word, your very word spoken to us, given to give to your church throughout the century so we can reflect Jesus and live our lives as a holy reflection of your character, Jesus, to this world that we live in. And God, I pray that you will just encourage us, help us to just really see that our identity in you, what you did for us, Jesus, on the cross, and through that empty tomb gives us not only the power, but the motivation to live our lives in a way that reflects you, that, that smells good to you, God. And God, I thank you for the truth of the gospel, and I pray that you will help us today, to walk out different today because of this text, this, these verses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul, in verses these first verses, he returns to what he was talking about back in chapter 1. And back in chapter 1, he's remember, he's explaining to the Corinthians why he changed his plans up and why he did not return to them like he had said. So look at verse 12 and 13 again. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord... My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. And so, Paul in chapter one was giving his defense on why he changed his mind several times on why he didn't return to Corinth. Remember, we've talked about how that Paul had a painful visit to Corinth. He went to Corinth, it didn't go well. In fact, last week when we talked about forgiveness, more than likely it was a person or a couple people in particular that had given Paul a super hard time, bullied him when he was on this painful visit there. So Paul actually retreated. He left, he pulled away and left Corinth and then he wrote a severe letter, a letter that we don't have to the Corinthians. He wrote this severe letter and he sent it through Titus. He sent Titus back to the church at Corinth. Well, Paul had hoped that Titus would meet him there in Troas and report that the severe letter had been well received. But when Paul got to Troas, Paul saw that ministry was going super good. He said, this door is open to me. So he's saying that people are receiving the gospel. They're responding. People are coming together in unity for the gospel. And so these really, really good things are happening. But titus has failed to appear he doesn't know where titus is at and so as a result verse 13 he says that my spirit was not at rest because i couldn't find my brother titus there so paul had no peace of mind here why where's titus did things go that badly in corinth that titus was still there and they're not that's not going so well did he get hurt along the way what's going on here paul is uncertain at this point What's going on with Titus? But he's very concerned about Titus and his spiritual condition. And he's concerned about the Corinthian situation and everything that's going on there. In spite of this great opportunity for him in Troas, what does Paul do? He loved Titus so much and cared so much about his brother in Christ that he decided that he would leave there even though things were going very, very well. And it's a great reminder here for us. So the the situation, the problems in Corinth caused Paul not to be able to do ministry in Troas the way that God was allowing and the things that were good things were happening this open door. And so dealing with the problem in Corinth prevented Paul from ministry in Troas. And so problems in churches, things that happen among us as the body of Christ, selfishness that we have that makes it about us and what we want versus what Christ wants for his church can cause these distractions that prevent the gospel from going out the way that it should be going out. And so ultimately the issues in Corinth prevented Paul from doing ministry in Troas and resulted in to him to leave there because of this anxiety over Titus. And so he won't return to this theme until chapter 7, verse 5. So if you're reading in commentaries or If you've looked on your own over this past week, this this next section is called the Great Digression, right? The Great Digression, because Paul brings this up and then he skips to this other point and goes on for chapters and doesn't return to it until chapter five. So, I mean, chapter seven. So we'll have to wait till chapter seven to find out what happens with Titus. But Paul begins to explain the positives for serving Jesus. Even in the suffering, even in this discouragement, even in the things that were happening to him. And so the price for caring for people is a result. There's many disappointments along the way. Things happen that bring us disappointment and cause us to struggle with ministry. But we don't, like Paul, let that set us back. We move forward, we keep pressing forward, knowing that God is at work and he's doing something in spite of the sometimes the body of Christ and the things that happen within the body of Christ. So we keep our eyes on Jesus, and like Paul does in verse 14, he even gives thanks in this moment. He says, but thanks be to God. So even in these moments where things are frustrating, relationships are not the way they should be, Titus, he doesn't know where he's at is this guy, is he hurt? Is he injured? What's going on with him? Is does the Church in Corinth, are they really, things are bad for Titus there? I don't know what's going on with him, but thanks be to God, right? Because God is in control, and Paul was always certain of that. In spite of the difficulties and the struggles that he faced, in fact, in spite of going to prison, being stoned, being shipwrecked, all these adversities that Paul faced, Paul never questioned the fact that God was in control. He was sovereign over every situation. And in fact, Paul could write in Romans that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so it's amazing the fact that even in hardships, even in disappointments, we can say thanks be to God. Because we know that God is working this in some mysterious way for our good and his glory. And we don't comprehend that a lot. And sometimes we may never see the good of it. Until we get to eternity. And so Paul begins again, like I said at the beginning, he goes back and he, he talks we let's go back to verse fourteen again. And he talks about us being this fragrance, the smell that God enjoys because of Jesus. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal per- procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. You know, if we want to think about memories, where do you go? You go to your photo albums for those who are maybe older than 40 or if you're younger than that, you go to all your digital pictures, right? Or a combination of both of those and see like past memories. But scientists tell us and most of us have heard this before that that your smell is actually the closest connected to memories, to remembering. And you probably had that occur. You probably know that through experience, that you walk by and you got a sniff of something and it just took you back to a situation or a memory that you had in a very strong way. And so um, these memories come back to you and they flood back to you in your brain. I have this one smell that occasionally, every few years, I'll get a whiff of. Now, as I describe this to you, it's going to sound pretty nasty, all right? It's sort of a mixture of mildew, must, and some smoke, all right? And this is not cigarette smoke. This is campfire smoke, all right? So mildew, must, and smoke, all right? Fill in the blanks. What does that take you to? It took me, very good. It takes me back to camp as a kid, right? Back to Bavard, North Carolina area to this place called the Wilds. And we went to the Wilds every summer for quite a few years. Every time I get this smell, it literally takes me back to when I'm a boy. And I'm in these birdhouses, as we called them, The Wilds camp, and there's a campfire, and there's all these birdhouses around. And then there's all, I mean, this place was crazy stairs, right? Stairs everywhere. You climb stairs. As a kid, that was terrible. But it was this incredible experience from this gross, nasty smell. Now, look, my wife, Michelle, went to the same camp when she was a kid. I can assure you if she gets that smell, if it does happen to remind her of that camp, which it probably doesn't, that's not pleasant memories, all right, for her, right? She did not like camp at all. It was not a good experience for her. And the smell in itself would feel, smell repulsive and nasty. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying that to one person, this smell that he's talking about, this fragrance, this odor is a very positive, great thing. And to others, it's just a repulsive thing. It's, it's terrible. Look at it, verse 15 and 16 again. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. So Paul makes this sharp distinction between the effects of the smell of the gospel on those who are being saved and its effect on those who are being lost. The fragrance of Jesus on us is always pleasing to God, he says. He says it's an aroma of Christ to God, and to other believers, when we're walking in the Spirit and living the life that God's called us to live, we recognize, we see Christ in each other. We smell, and it smells like, whoa, I see Jesus in them. I smell Jesus in them. Like something brings me in memories and thoughts of God because of the love that we show to one another. But that very same aroma that's been given out by those who are walking in the Spirit, those who know Christ and are living according to the way Christ wants us to live, that very same gospel proclamation through our life and through our words is repulsive to those who are unbelievers. Because it tells them, it reminds them of death. And so our lives, here's a, a point we need to remember. Our lives are leaving a lingering aroma in memory wherever we go. They're leaving a memory, just like our smell is associated with memory, our presence, us living out the gospel and taking the gospel, leads us memory through our aroma. And so think about your workplace. Think about your friends. Think about those who aren't maybe necessarily church people that you've been hanging around with or went to the game with or wherever you're at. What kind of aroma are they smelling through you in your life? Is it remind them of Christ? And for some, that's a good thing. And for others who are unbelievers, it'd be like, oh, you know, let's don't be around him anymore. Because that reminds us of death and eternity. And it reminds us of the fact that we don't know Jesus Christ. So sometimes we get rejected for that very reason. Look at it again, verse 14 and 15. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Let's talk about this picture that Paul's given. What is he saying through this image Because he talks about spreading these fragrances. Most people in the Roman world would know about a triumphal procession. They would know that because they've seen it, they've observed that. This is, in the Roman world, a king or a general or some great leader, after a military victory, would begin to parade down the streets, and people would come out, much like a parade after somebody wins the Super Bowl or World Series today, and people would come out and see and cheer this on. But unlike our parades today, the prisoners from war, those who had been taken captive, would be in this parade as well. As well as all the plundering, the things they plundered from, this victory that they had. And so they'd have this victory parade, this celebration, going through the streets. And as part of this procession would be these incense bearers, which were usually priests or spiritual leaders within the Roman world. And these people would be walking through with their incense, and this incense would be going up, and most historians say this was either right in front or right behind or near the the king or general, and so the smell would be going up, and it would be associated with this victory for those who were lining the streets cheering it on. But that same very same smell of victory, that very same scent that says, we are the victors, look at our spoil, that very same scent for the prisoners, who were being paraded through the streets, and those who have been taken captive, this is a reminder that more than likely they're going to end up dead. That this is not going to go well for them. They're going to be either taken to the Colosseum and killed, or if their lives were spared, they're going to be slaves for the rest of their life. And so this was a, a terrible feeling for them, a terrible smell for them. And so that's what Paul's metaphor is getting at, that Jesus is the king or the general. He's the one who is victorious and he's leading this processional and here we are as the incense bearers. We're marching with our king and we're spreading the smell of victory. And for those who know Jesus, they're responding with, yes, yes, I have victory in Jesus. I've been redeemed. I'm declared righteous. I'm holy in Christ. But for those who are perishing, it's not such a good smell it's not such a great experience and so through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere so our job is to be incense bearers to spread the knowledge of jesus and that happens primarily through the proclamation of the gospel through the proclamation of the gospel yes our words sometimes we want to think well i'm just let my light Shine through my life, but you know, I don't want to ever say anything because I don't know all the answers, and you know, they may ask me something I don't know. I'm going to encourage you to be bold in the gospel, know the gospel. The gospel is is about as simple as it can be. It's all about Jesus, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's very simple the cross and the empty tomb. But so many of us, we just freeze, we get paralyzed when it comes to declaring the gospel. You know what I'm talking about, right? You just want to say it and it's like right there on your lips and it won't come out. So Paul presses this image on to say not only are we image bearers, incense carriers, but we're actually the smell itself which has its source in Jesus and rises up to honor God. So picture that. Not only are you spreading the renown and glory of Jesus, but you're actually, your life, as Paul talks about, is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Picture the Old Testament sacrifices and the aroma going up, as Deuteronomy talks about, and it being a smell to God that he loves and he enjoys. Our lives are that to to God because of Jesus. Our lives are a reflection of Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's amazing truth, but I think so many times we forget our identity in Christ. We forget our, who we really are. We get mixed signals from society on what our what our identity really is. Charlie Chaplin, you may know that name from film. One time I read that he came in third in a look-alike contest for Charlie Chaplin. Right, the, the guy himself came in third in his own contest. That's the kind of mixed signals that we get about our identity. Who am I? Am I who they say I am, who culture says I am, or who Jesus says that I am? And Scripture tells us that in Christ, we are unconditionally loved and accepted by the Father. And it's difficult to internalize that because everything in this world works the complete opposite everything in this world is the American Idol show where you have the judges sitting there judging you and they tell you whether you're good or bad based upon your performance. And sadly, many churches and many preachers preach that kind of gospel that says, if you just do the stuff, then God will accept you and love you. But when you fail, when you don't measure up to God, then God's rejecting you. He's mad at you. He's angry at you. I read this story by an author named Bob George and he shares this uh, illustration of about a child who brings to her mother this picture that she had colored and drew drew it she drew it and colored it and she gave it to her mom and her mom looked at it like all good moms and she said this is so wonderful this is amazing whoa Susie you are an amazing artist You have such talent. You're going to be world-renowned one day. Look at this. This is amazing. Put this right here in my refrigerator where we can see it. And little Susie walks away, and she's like, wow, my mom thinks I'm wonderful. She thinks I'm the best artist ever. And so she goes into her room, and she begins to examine the walls. And she said, where will I put my mural? And she says, this wall, this is the biggest wall. Let me draw here, and let me just start coloring. And she spends a couple hours in her room drawing this great drawing this to her, and her mom's going to be so proud, right? And her mom walks in, Susie, what in the world have you done? You stupid child, you idiot. What are you doing? You crazy? Drawing on a, but mommy, you said I was a great artist, right? Uh, No, you're not really, right? I'm just telling you that because that's what a mom does and says when it's on a picture, a piece of paper, not on the wall. So you see what I'm getting at? We get these mixed signals. We're confused like, if, if I fail, is God mad? Is he judging me? Is he Simon Cowell and said, get off the stage. How dare you be here? No. Through, the, through Jesus, we are fully accepted. We're fully loved. And in the love that God has for his kids, it's not based on our performance. It's based upon the unshakable and unbreakable news of the gospel. Through Jesus Christ and him alone, that you smell good to God All the time. All the time. Paul didn't say you smell good to God when you got it together. He's writing to the church at Corinth. All right? The church at Corinth. And they're a sweet smell to God. Why? Because Jesus Christ is in them. And he's changed them. And Christ in us, the hope of glory, we've died with Christ. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We're a new creation in Christ. And we are an aroma of Christ to God. We are an aroma of Christ to God. I encourage you, if you struggle with your identity in Christ, go back and read Romans chapter 6. And it talks about our relationship to sin and who we are. Because, yes, we still struggle as Christians. We still struggle. Christ in us, we don't instantly receive perfect perfection in our performance, in, our, in the things that we do, in our activity, in our actions. But we're declared righteous, and, but evil and sin are still present. But we've given, been given a completely new perspective on these things. All of a sudden that we see that we aren't victims to the world and the flesh and the devil. That Christ has given us not only the Holy Spirit within us, he's given us the power. He's given us everything we need, 2 Peter 1 says, for life and godliness in Christ Jesus Your new nature resides in this old fleshly body, and these things are at war with one another, but don't get discouraged. The Holy Spirit gives you the resolve to fight and to keep fighting, and not just fighting alone, but fighting with your brothers and sisters in Christ and being real and transparent with them and say, come alongside me, Mac. I need your help, bro. I need you to help me as I fight this and struggle with this. But you see, as long as we want to keep playing for the performance and for the judges, we're not going to want anybody inside this right here. We're going to keep very private to ourselves. We're going to keep being religious because we're basing our identity upon our performance. But when we understand that Jesus did it all for us, then all of a sudden we can just say, I'm pure and clean and holy and righteous. And so if Max sees inside my life, it's okay because the truth is, I'm sure his life, right, isn't perfect either. And he's still struggling. He's still going through the same battles with the flesh. And we never, ever conquer the flesh. We don't on this side of eternity. All right? We don't. And so we resist the, the devil. We fight the flesh, and we reckon ourselves new in Christ, and we renew our minds daily in Christ. That's what we do against our enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But we know that it's the, the victory is won, and Christ is working through us. And so we get up when we fall. We don't wallow in our failure. We get up and we find help and encouragement. And we have gospel accountability and love and encouragement. And we walk forward and we fight the good fight. And so think about your enemies. If you're in K-Group that does sermon follow-up, I ask you questions about this because Scripture says the devil is an enemy. We talked about that. Paul talked about last week. We need to know his strategies. We know those. They're, they're apparent. But what do we do? We resist the devil. And we fight against the flesh. Paul says we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. We, we use our members, we use our body as an instrument of righteousness, not unrighteousness. And then we fight against the world, and so we have to daily renew our minds in Christ. And so he gives us, Scripture gives us how we fight these battles. But as we'll point out at the end, it's a lot more about knowing who you are in Christ than it is about focusing in on the enemy. You've been maybe around churches like that. All they want to do is talk about spiritual warfare and the devil. Focus on who we are in Christ. Verse 15, we are the aroma of Christ to God. Know who you are. And then know what's at stake. Know what's at stake in this battle. Look at verse 15 and 16 again. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Why do I read that again? It's a reminder that the gospel has eternal consequences, plain and simple. The gospel has eternal consequences. And as these incense bearers, as we walk along, this is not a game. This is not something, oh, this is good we get together occasionally. And this is good that we live life. This is good that we have this church. No, this is life and death stuff. The same scripture that tells us that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners and the same one that wrote 316, for God so loved the world, right? They gave his only begotten son. The same God who gave us those scriptures tells us that our lives are a fragrance, either from life to life or death to death, meaning that what we do matters. And as incense bearers in this parade for King Jesus, the way that we live our life matters. And so I love what Paul says next, this little line in verse 16. Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? That's called a rhetorical question, right? He says, who can rise to this challenge? Who can make a difference? Who can possibly live up to this standard? And the answer, of course, is obvious. Nobody can unless God lives in and through them, right? Carrying the message of eternal life or eternal death is a sobering responsibility. And no one is worthy of that task. God qualifies us. God is the one that gives us the strength and the power to live, that we can be people of integrity, people that are commissioned by God. Look, that's what Paul says in verse 17. He says, God qualifies us. For we are not like so many, Peddlers of God's word. We're not fakes. We're not putting on airs. We're not pretending to be something. We're not just religious people. Look what he says. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We speak in Christ. So who can handle this? Who can do this? Who's possibly up to this task? We're not. Apart from Jesus Christ. But you know what? He lives in us. God has commissioned us. And so we're de- just in every situation we're in, we can just be diffused and we can just spread the fragrance of the gospel in everything we do. Even in our weakness, Paul talks about this a lot. In his weakness, Christ is made strong. Even in the fact that we don't always have it together and that we do still sin. But in spite of that, God is working in us when we're humble and we realize that it's about him, it's not about us. For I've died, right? Scripture says. For I no longer live. But who lives in me? Christ. Who lives in you? Christ. Christ lives in us. And so Paul just brings it down to this very street level. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You represent Jesus Christ. And if you walk out of here being like, oh, man, the judges are going to just find so many faults in me. They're going to critique me. And I just I hope I can do it. I hope I can hold on till next week. Then you've missed the whole point of this. You are a special aroma to God in Christ. And if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has begun. You are a sweet smell to God. And out of this identity, then we can walk by the Spirit. He's given us everything we need, Galatians 5.16. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit who lives in you. He's given you everything you need to live according to your identity. Become who you are. Just be who you are is a better way of saying it. Be who you are. You are in Christ. And so here's the hands application I really want you to just wrap a hold of and really study out on your own. And maybe you could write these down. They're in the app. Resist, reckon, and renew are three key words from Scripture when it comes to that this way that we live our lives, that we understand our identity in Christ, and then we just allow our lives to reflect the good truth of the gospel, the good truth of Scripture in every area of our life. God is changing you if you're in Christ. He is. Regardless of how bad last night was, how much you messed up, God is, if you're a true believer, God is working to conform you to the image of Christ. And he doesn't quit, and he won't give up on his children. He loves you. And his love is pouring out on you. And nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Not my words. That's scripture. Trust the work of God. Embrace the work of God. Walk in the spirit. And you won't live by the flesh. Let's pray. Father God, your truth is amazing. And we've seen it in your word, many of us, all our lives. But God, when we just see it afresh and new through the eyes of your spirit. It just does something to us. It just it renews us, reinvigorates us, excites us, propels us, because we realize that our identity in you is settled, that in Jesus Christ, you were satisfied and we're fully loved and fully accepted. And God, I pray that we'll embrace this identity and we'll live this out this week. I pray we'll quickly run to our brothers and sisters in Christ for encouragement and help in need. God, I pray that you will allow us to be transparent and humble, realizing the gospel humbles us, but it builds us up. And it's this amazing, amazing uh, tension that sometimes we have in ourselves that we don't understand fully. But God, we know that in you, that you've given us everything we need to live this life. And God, I pray you'll be honored and glorified through our church. Help us to be people who truly, truly take the aroma of you and spread it everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.